Hello, everyone, and welcome to Unlocking the Potential of Assessments, the show that delves into creating, delivering, and reporting on valid and reliable assessments. In each episode, we chat with assessment luminaries, influencers, subject matter experts, and customers to discover and examine the latest in best practice guidance for all things assessment. I'm your host, John Kleeman, founder of Questionmark, the industry leader in assessment management software. Today, I'm really pleased to welcome Jared Morgan, who's been a leader in the education technology field for over 16 years and pioneered the online proctoring industry as founder of ProctorU, now known as Measure Learning. In his role as Chief Strategy Officer, he's a frequent speaker for the Online Learning Consortium, the Association of Test Publishers, EDUCORS, and many others. He's passionate about helping people learn about education technology, entrepreneurship, and corporate leadership. Welcome, Jared. John, it's great to be here. Great to be here talking to you. Well, I'm really pleased to have you here as well. So the question I ask people always on this podcast is, how did you get into the assessment world? You know, it's an interesting industry, right? A lot of people don't end up in there uh, intentionally. And, sure. and uh, I, I sort of ended up there myself unintentionally. So I certainly did not set out to land here. But when I got close to this industry, I really got interested in it. Um, I started out working in um, a university. It was a small for-profit um, private school called Andrew Jackson University based out of Birmingham, Alabama. And uh, I was working, sort of heading up the technology for what was a, a small kind of growing school. And we had a, um, a need for uh, something to actually watch students take exams. We were sending them all over the place, sending them to libraries, sending them to, you know, the, a local minister to watch and make sure that the test was secure. Um, and this is higher ed testing, right? So this is kind of like a different world that you have to sort of convince people sometimes that, that these things are important in that space. Um, but we built our own uh, product to for our own use, called and we called it Proctor U, and um, that quickly sort of snowballed into its own entity to serve other institutions. And within a few years, we started getting calls from organizations that were not colleges and not universities, um, and that led me to um, ATP Association of Test Publishers. Um, that led me, led me to you know. ICE and, and many other organizations. And then it also led me to get to know Question Mark really well, which was, um, that was sort of the first, I think, uh, other company that was a pure assessment company um, that I ever really got to know, got to know John, got to know a lot of the people that work there and started to learn the use cases and how much different they are in uh, the professional space and um, than they are in the pure sort of education space. And so that's kind of how we got into it. Um, and then just the need for the kind of test anywhere use case is what's really sort of propelled our growth in that market. Um, and it's actually the largest piece of our company now um, is the non-education space. Um, a lot of people think of, of ProctorU as, as really like a higher education thing, but it's actually become um, more used outside of education than it is inside of education, which is really interesting. You know, I remember meeting you and colleagues in the early days, and I think you and your team really pioneered this this space and did some very exciting things. And it sounds like what you're saying is you really built it for your internal use at the university, and then other people wanted it, and the business grew out of that? Yeah, that's really, I mean, to, to sum it up, yeah. I mean, we, we built it for our own use, and we gave a presentation at a conference, an education conference, about what we were doing, and we were approached by some other schools um, saying, you know, hey, is there any way we can sort of pay you guys to do this for us? This is really great, but we don't have the capacity to sort of take this on. And so we, we moved it out into its own uh, entity and allowed that kind of allowed us to serve 
other institutions, and then of course other companies. And then you know before you know it, we're at innovations and testing. I can't remember what year it was, but it was I can I can vividly remember where I was standing when I was sort of walking around and thinking, here's this huge industry that the whole world is depending on. I, I didn't I don't didn't sort of realize how you know at the time how important good assessment programs were for measuring skills and furthering people through their careers. And I'm, I'm walking around this place and I'm saying, wow, there goes Microsoft and there goes those guys. And I just was so like impressed with, you know, here's this relatively small group of people that make up this industry that really power quality assessments all over the world. And I was just sort of taken with how, um, interesting that was and how, you know, it, it touched almost every industry that you can think of. Interesting, interesting perspective. And I think ATP would love to he hear that. And so I think you took on a lot of proctors over the years. I mean, you, you had hundreds fairly early on, I think. Uh, we did. Yeah. And and we've had to, that, that obviously has been the part of our company that's had to evolve pretty rapidly. Originally, all of our proctors were based in the US. And then as we grew to sort of serve a more global audience, we had to have a more global workforce. And so, you know, depending on the time of the year, because um, our workforce sort of ebbs and flows with the usage in the industry, um, you know, we'll have anywhere from, you know, 1,200 to, to 2,000 ish sort of proctors based in facilities all over the world um, that we can rely on. And it's kind of that uh, large workforce and being nimble like that, that really allowed us to be one of the few players in, in this space that, that stayed online during the thick of the pandemic when there was lockdowns and things going on everywhere. And what sort of job roles have you done over, over the years? I mean, have you been technical or managing or a bit of both? Or <laughs> So, that you know, John, I, I love I love talking for the listeners. I love talking to John because he's also a founder. And so, you know, like when you when you start something, you know, you're you can give yourself the title of whatever you want, but it means you're everything. You're you're everything from sure. from onboarding to sales to janitor. You know, I can remember vividly, you know, fixing toilets in the early days, trying to keep our <laughs> our staff able to use the facilities. And so I, I really I've really touched everything except uh, I would say finance, which everybody agrees that was a great call that we always <laughs> on that side of the business. But I held the role of our chief operating officer for a little while. Uh, I moved into running sales and then I've really sort of settled in over the last uh, probably five years or so around strategy. And, and what strategy is for us is really looking at the market, taking an idea from something you hear from one customer and you sort of go and say, well, do you guys have this problem too? And sort of start to find common threads where we can start to keep pushing past what we were, what we sort of got known for doing. And, and that's, this was sort of interesting and why you, you mentioned earlier, we were Proctor U and became Measure Learning. Part of the reason that we had gone through that rebrand was, um, for one, we we uh, acquired the company Yardstick, um, which was a uh, company that did a lot of things, but none of them were proctoring. Um, and we've actually gotten into um, a great deal of other things other than proctoring. And um, the name Proctor U, while it was great and it really told people what we did and it was what we were known for, um, it sort of became limiting, you know, when we started thinking about where we wanted to go as a company. Um, we want to be able to be an assessments company, right? Someone that can help build and maintain and grow um, really quality assessment programs through things that we do and through things that partners that we work with like Question Mark. And so it just didn't make sense for us to continue that name. So after a lot of work, we came up with Measure Learning, which is sort of, if you think about it, everything sort of comes back to measurement and assessment. Sure. Um, and, uh, and that's where we landed on that name. 
So why don't you tell us what you think is going to, is happening on proctoring? What, where's the puck moving to and what, what are the key issues in proctoring at the moment? You know, it's a great question. I, I think that in the professional space, I think we can clearly see that 2020 was this giant unintentional pilot program that we, we found, you know, proof of concept that uh, where people that had to rely on this, that maybe had some hesitancy before they had to, you know, physical testing shut down across the world. And so organizations, if they were going to continue to deliver tests through the thick of 2020, they had to come up with another method. And the easy thing was to sort of listen to the things that we have been preaching for years, which was that you can deliver assessments online, you can do it securely, you can do it with quality, and you can do it in such a way where you can prove it. Suddenly, everybody (laughs) had to drop all of the pretenses and say, well, we're just going to have to try this. And what you found at really, really large organizations that um, did a tremendous amount of testing with us in a really rapid period, a short period of time, they were able to find out that, first of all, the, the roof didn't cave in, right? Um, people didn't suddenly put an asterisk next to these certifications uh, that, as opposed to the ones that, that were received previously. And I think people started to realize that um, the genie was kind of out of the bottle, right? And so I've had multiple people say, I can't imagine us going to our you know, user base and saying, okay, after this date, you have to start going back to a test center 100%. Now you can't do this at home after we've told them over the past year that they've taken these exams online and that they're valid. And so I think kind of where the industry is going is I think now the sort of question is, you know, what's the mix going to look like? I mean, I think air quotes, hybrid um, assessment delivery is really sort of the hot topic now. You know, you're going to do some online, you're going to do some in person. I think that's appropriate for sort of where we are today. I think where we're going to land in, I don't know, five years, 10 years, I would have said two years ago, I would have said we were five years away from where we are, but you, so you just never know, right? COVID accelerated everything. So I don't want to put a time on it, but there's a, there's a point in the not too distant future where the, the idea of getting in your vehicle and traveling to a location and sitting down in a building you've never been in to take an assessment, it's not going to be gone, but I think everyone's going to have to sort of justify why you're doing it that way. Right. There, there needs to be a, a genuine, tangible. The reason that we're having you drive and sit physically is because blank. And it can't be because, well, we think, you know, we don't want you to cheat the other ways, because I think we're, we, there's enough information about online assessment delivery now where that's not really something that I think most people buy into anymore. So I think where we're sort of going in the professional space is you're going to see physical in-person proctoring kind of become more of a boutique offering, I would, I would think at some point, and, and there'd be a reason for it, right? I mean, somebody would be able to say, well, we do it because there's this part of the assessment that's very physical or needs certain equipment or whatever it might be. Um, and that might lend it to it. And I think the most of the rest of it um, will certainly have online assessment available, but we're starting to see the numbers continue to grow where people are choosing to do it at home. And I don't, I think originally it was a, a COVID concern, but now I think it's a more of a lifestyle concern. It just fits with sort of where society has already gone. You know, we don't go to movies theaters as much as we do. We, well, you know, we have Netflix and we have Hulu, right? And we, the, the pandemic, I have, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to break the habit of ordering groceries anymore, right? I mean, I used to go to the grocery store all the time and which, you know, which can of yams do I want? And now I just get online and 
I'll like build my little shopping cart over a period of days and finally hit submit and it, it lands on my doorstep, you know, and, and I think that's not going away either. And so I think there's a lot of things like that that have changed. I don't think this, that the assessment industry is going to be any different. No, I think you, you may well be right. Uh, and for listeners who are not too familiar with this concept, it used to be that if you had a certification, you went to a test center and perhaps had to travel a couple of hours from your home or whatever to do that and schedule a time. Whereas with uh, online proctoring, you still schedule a time, but you take it from your home or your office uh, at a time that's convenient for you. And usually 24-7, so people can do it in the night. Is, is that right? right? If they want to yeah. when their kids are asleep or when it's convenient for them? That's right. Yeah. And, and it, it just, as you can imagine, mid-career adults, people that are trying to fit this into a busy life, the choice of, okay, I can make an appointment and drive, you know, 45 minutes away or whatever, two weeks from now, or the idea that I can get online, make this appointment, take it maybe tonight after the kids are in bed, um, that appeals to a lot of people. And so we've had to put all the work behind that to make sure that the people that own these assessments and that deliver them can feel confident in the results uh, regardless. And we've done some great work there. And what about test security, test fraud? Are people more likely to cheat if they take the test with online proctoring the test center? What's your take on that? That's the big question, right? And, and the thing that I think held online assessments back for a long time was this specter that oh, well, cheating is going to exponentially increase and if, you, if you move online. I think what was, what was always challenging for us to have this conversation was we found that most people in the industry did not have a firm understanding of what it meant to have a secure assessment. If you ask somebody, well, how do you know this assessment was you know, secure? You, you delivered this test. How do you know it was secure? Well, we sent them to a test center. Okay, well, that's more of a method than it is a result. Right. And so what we tried to do was really move the conversation towards outcomes and results. What data do we see to know whether someone cheated or someone stole content or some, you know, whatever, impersonated another person? What sort of outcomes data can we measure in both modalities, by the way, in, in, in person testing and in online testing where we know we've done a good job? And what we found was that for whatever reason, where the industry was, I'd say, three or four years ago, was there wasn't a lot of uh, sort of consensus around what it meant. You gave a thousand tests, you looked at it after the fact, there wasn't a consensus on how do I know whether that was secure? How do I know that these were valid? You know, the way that they would know that they weren't secure was they would go to any number of test harvesting websites and think, oh my gosh, my test has been stolen. But that's so far removed from the moment that it was stolen. You know, it's sort of like, trying to diagnose cancer by looking at the death rate from 10 years ago, right? I mean, oh, you know, that's that's so far removed from actually the moment that the problem happened. And so what we've been doing over the last couple of years is trying to introduce data and metrics and clarity into what actually happens in each assessment session that allows people to say, okay, well, this to me is what security is. For me personally, security is uh, knowing what happened in each assessment session to a level that I'm comfortable with. So instead of sending somebody somewhere and just sort of hoping that everything went well and you look, you get a, you know, you get a score at the end and you can sort of monitor the internet and see if anything is sort of leaked out. Now having the ability to sort of double check on any session that happened, um, be able to go in and chart how many times certain certain interactions happen. I mean, one of the things that we found when we started tracking what we do is consistently, and it ebbs and flows, goes up and down, um, but consistently about one out of every two people that take an online assessment 
uh, try to take this assessment with some type of material that they're not allowed to have. And that our proctors at, at the Proctor U offices have to stop and say, hey, you know, you got that notebook out or you have that out and we need you to, we need you to put that away. And they say, oh, OK. And they put it away. But that's a that's a data point that we've never tracked before. And the question is, is that too much? Is that not enough? I don't know. You you don't. There's no way to know until you first start tracking it. Right. And so that's kind of where we've tried to move the conversation on security is instead of using it as a vague concept to really say, OK, well, these metrics here that we can track and, and measure and, and iterate on are what we're going to say are the quality markers. And that's how we're going to measure success rather than how people sort of feel about it. That makes sense. Absolutely. So data, not not feelings, and I think that, right. and, and I think the data shows that uh, tests taken with online proctoring ha- have uh, no more test fraud than test uh, test centers broadly across the industry. Is that? Yeah, I'm gonna. I might. I might borrow that, John. Data, not feelings. I may get T-shirts printed. Because <laughs> uh, data, not feelings. Right. That's that's well, the way we're trying. It feels pretty appropriate for a lot of the assessment industry. We should all be evidence-based. So let's move on to the human versus automated proctoring thing, because I think you've taken an interesting stance on that. And for uh, listeners who are not familiar with it, there are are different kinds of uh, remote proctoring. So there's remote proctoring where a human observes somebody uh, taking a test over video, and there's remote proctoring where a machine observes somebody taking a test over video and a human or somebody else looks at it later on. What's your take on automated versus human, uh, Jared? Yeah, so uh, a really kind of emotionally charged subject, particularly in higher education right now. I'll just sort of tell you the story and, and the take. my take on it will come out in the story. So, I mean, rewind five or six years. I, I don't remember exactly when these conversations started, but we started getting immense pressure from universities, particularly U.S. universities, to start to strip out some of the things that we thought were important for quality in the interest of cost. And so they were much more concerned about cost than they were quality. And and I'll, I'm, I'm speaking very candidly, obviously, but I know it's a tough thing to say out loud, but that's the reality. So we, we, we had a great online proctoring service that was growing. We use real people to make the decisions the same way you would use them in test centers and on campuses and everywhere else, right? So, so something that very, everyone was sort of comfortable with that method. And what we kept hearing from the market kept hearing from universities was, we need something that's cheap. And we would come back and say, well, if we do it this way, then that's not going to work as well. And they were like, our mandate right now is is a budget number, not um, quality markers. That's the reality. So over the period of four or five years, we decided that we needed to build something for the bottom end of the market in higher education to sort of help people maybe go through the process of trying that and then moving back into something that's that's a little more secure. Um, so we started to build an automated sort of proctoring system. And what that really looks like, you, you summarize it really well, John. What that really looks like is it's the difference between watching someone take an exam in real time or having them um, recorded and watched later by either machine or people, right? And that's kind of the, the difference. It's, so the, the, the aim was for us to try to build something that was sort of hybrid and allowed us to keep the human interaction in there by having our, our proctors uh, use it. But then the, sort of the second wave of, of impact we got was schools wanted us to just give them the technology and let their own staff and faculty 
do the reviews. And that's really where the problem came in. We did not do a lot of that, but what we found when um, people use that technology in that way, so their student takes an exam, they're monitored by our system, and then there are some kind of indication that someone needs to go watch that video. We found that 90% of them, about nine out of 10 of them were never opened a single time by anybody. Um, and so what we were finding is that when, when you use technology like that incorrectly, it actually increases the likelihood of cheating because it quickly gets out. You know, so everybody has a buddy that, that tried, oh, yeah, you know, I tried, I got my phone out and it, nobody did a thing, right? And word gets around pretty quickly. And so we started to recognize that this method was flawed and it was flawed because we really sort of staked who we were in our company about really solving the problems the correct way. And it was just hard for us to continue to bang our head against the wall in a product that, frankly, we didn't really believe in what how people were using it. Um, and we thought that when you use it incorrectly, it harms the school, it harms the student, it harms everybody, harms the reputation. And so we made a pretty bold uh, move to actually move away from what we would say fully automated uh, proctoring services, which are the ones that, that ask the faculty uh, to do the work. And the reason really, if you sum it up and say why, is because if faculty are not able to review it at the level that they need to review it at, then you're effectively unintentionally making AI make the decision about a student. Right. So if there's enough little pings on a person, a faculty or somebody may sort of inadvertently just say, well, that person's definitely cheating. Look at all those marks. Right. Um, and that's not that was never the design. And that's not the way that this should work. And so we moved away from that. We provide services where we have trained proctors that go through our six week training process. They have all these like, certification exams that we have to give them and they have to test out and then they have to be shadowed, you know, all these different things. They're audited, you know, up to three times a month, um, all these different things to make sure that they're doing things correctly to ensure that students are getting treated fairly, that the rules are being adhered to, and that the, the job is being done well. And so I'm sorry to be sort of long-winded as to why we got there, but that was a really, really crucial decision for us as a business. And I was thrilled with the fact that we were able to get everybody in our organization on board with that from this, you know, from the proctors all the way up to the board of directors, everybody recognized that this was the right thing to do. Um, and so we took, you know, pretty massive action to sunset that product and, and really explained it to the industry why human-based proctoring is the only way to give a true fair assessment. And I think the automated proctoring suppliers would probably suggest that uh, providing that their users do review the material that there are other other routes and things but I, I think your position is quite industry leading and innovative and interesting to hear well i would i would to quote the great john Kleeman, right uh <laughs> hate and not feelings right so i mean i would say share the data right the data that we have that we've shared suggested that that was not the case and certainly there's a mountain of anecdotal evidence that that's not the case but we go on data and the data was clear Right. I mean, it just wasn't something that we wanted to put our brand next to anymore. So to tell us a little bit about the uh, proctor training is six weeks for somebody to become trained as a proctor. Yeah. So it's a six week process. And we, we build out these modules 
that are kind of evolving as we learn new cheating techniques and kind of new things that we've got to train for. And they have to test out of each module before they can move forward. No surprise, an organization like ours believes in assessments for them sure. to kind of become well-trained, right? Once they complete everything, you know, they have an overall test that they have to have a certain score on to be able to move to the actual genuine workforce. Then they're sort of shadowed and they, what we call nesting, right, um, with a seasoned proctor. And that way, you know, if they don't pass the exam, they go back into the training program. Um, if they do, they go and, you know, become nesting with a, with a true proctor. And then they're audited up to three times a month. Um, we have a pretty rigorous rubric that we use that has a score percentage. And if they're not doing all of the things that they're supposed to be doing to make sure that we have a fair and proper exam, then they can go back into training or, and they, and they have to get, they have to test back out of training before they can come back into the workforce, or they may just be removed from the workforce if they're not um, up to, up to par. So it's a really rigorous process. I think that is why we think that human proctoring is really the superior way to do it is because humans, people, when you train them properly, people can understand nuance that machine cannot, right? So if I'm taking an examination and, uh, you know, I move my head for 15 seconds off of the camera and then I come back, well, a machine learning algorithm may say, well, that's a problem. But a human watching that that saw, you know, a five-year-old come teetering into the room with a sippy cup, you know, realize, oh man, they're just get, they're, they're getting rid of their child and that's really not a problem. And that's a, that's a funny sort of example, but there's a lot of that, sort of nuance that happens during an assessment when you're watching someone take one. And the worst thing you can do is um, have a process set up that jerks somebody around while they're trying to take an assessment. It's a lot of people are taking a, an assessment that it's really, really critical that they get uh, the best score they can. And so we need to make sure that the technology and the process that we're using is not the distraction, right? That's really interesting to hear. I, I really enjoyed hearing about that. Just uh, let's uh, just close on one final question. So somebody is thinking about implementing remote proctoring in their testing program. What are good practices that they should do? How should they be preparing? What would you advise in that sort of area? You know, going back to what I was saying before, I think having a good measurement of what success looks like is critical because I, a lot of people start online learning and online assessment without really having, uh, you know, some sense of the, these are the data points that we're going to measure to figure out whether this is working or not. And so they go on feeling and, and can't tell you how many times through the years, we will have uh, an organization that will give, you know, five, say, let's say 5,000 assessments in a short period of time. And we'll look at the data after the fact, and it will have gone, you know, tremendous, really, really high survey marks from the, the, the candidates saying, yeah, they really enjoyed that process as much as you can enjoy an assessment, right? Um, and, you know, we caught cheaters at the expected rate and, you know, people got into their exam quickly and all the metrics are good. And there's like, you know, two people out of the 5,000 that had some situation, the power went out, you know, their computer wasn't really in good working condition. And, you know, each one of those two people emailed and called and called and tweeted, and it seems like an avalanche, right? And so it's hard for people to make a uh, a rational assessment on how things are going when the two out of 5,000 uh, have the lion's share of all the, you know, attention. And so whenever you're doing this, whether you're doing an online proctoring or whether you're anything, anything that's kind of moving online, you need to make sure you know what metrics you're going to track to look for success. Because if you don't, the loudest sort of squeaky wheel is going to be the thing that gets the most of your attention and may distract you from, either the successes or other failures that you need to be putting your attention on. 
that sounds a, a really sensible thing to do. And as you say, applies to a lot more than just on, online proctoring. Jared, it's been really interesting hearing from you today. Uh, and I hope that our listeners ha- have enjoyed it, it as well. Thank you very much for, for joining us. It was a pleasure and an honor. Thank you, John. Thank you, Jared. And thank you also to our audience for joining us today. Uh, please reach out to me directly at johnaquestionmark.com with any questions, comments, or if you'd like to keep the conversation going. You can also uh, visit the Question Mark website at questionmark.com to register for any of our many best practice webinars we host monthly. Also, feel free to check out the Proc2U Measure Learning websites. And thanks again. And please tune in for another exciting podcast discussion we'll be releasing shortly. Mm-hmm.